You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, uh, we do have a decent amount of news going on. We got the schedule release, which is always exciting. And we got a bunch of interviews, including from Mr. Jordan Love. So we definitely want to try to get through all of that. And as always, if there's time, which I'm kind of guessing there won't be, but if there is, we'll go to the phones. So I just want to touch on a couple things looking at the rest of the division here. Um, Saw a tweet by Ari Mirov that says, NFL schedule leak. The defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs will open up the 2023 NFL season on Thursday night, September 7th, against the Detroit Lions. And then he goes on to say, League is buying into the Lions hype. Schultz report was on it. So there's a lot of assumptions being made based on the schedule. Uh, We'll get into some of those as far as the Green Bay Packers. I think too many assumptions are being made um, that we don't exactly know about. And and one of those is the league is buying into the Lions hype. Maybe they are. I don't think so. I don't think they put the best team in the NFL up against a team that missed the playoffs because they genuinely believe that the changes that they made made them genuine, legit Super Bowl contenders. I think what this is, is they freaking screwed the Lions. That's what I think it is. I mean, this is terrible. Um... I mean, look, first of all, they're going to struggle early in the season because there were several suspensions, including to their young, dynamic, wide receiver. So he's not going to be available. So um, although I expect the Lions to come out ready and um, tip-top shape and anything can happen, you know, the Chiefs could completely lay an egg. I'm I'm not saying that, but clearly this is one of those games that if if they play 10 times, the Lions win maybe once or twice. I don't exactly know what, what, what it was that brought them to this. I just cannot imagine that the schedule makers thought this is going to be a great game. Maybe the, the thought process is this is a shootout. Because the Lions came out last year just scoring massive amount of points. And the defense was terrible. And so maybe that's the idea. Yeah, the Chiefs are going to win, but it's going to be 56-49. to 49, And pe- people are going to freaking love it. That's entirely possible. But again... I'm just going to... I'm, I'm not going to say I'm going to dispel the idea that the league is buying into the Lions hype because I have no idea, just like Ari has no idea. But I don't think that's the case. And I'm at least going to dispel the idea that that we should automatically deduce that that is the reason. Could be completely random. Could be, as I laid out, that they just expect it to be a high-scoring game and they want the NFL kicked off in that way. How can we score the maximal amount of points? And honestly, that may actually be a, a positive for the Lions. Even if they lose, if they can put up just massive amounts of points, people are going to look at that and say, look, they lost, but this is the defending Super Bowl champs. This team is legit. Now, if they end up getting blown out 45 to 14, you know, then then that just completely sucks. For them, not for us. That would be great for us. But that's going to be kind of a theme, I think, going through this, because there's so many comments that I see about, wow, this happened. It must mean this. And everything, this, I apologize, the podcast is becoming boring to where it's just kind of like, all I do is come on here and say, no, that's not true. We don't actually know that. Yeah, but we don't actually know that. Yeah, but I don't know. We don't, we don't know that for sure. <laughs> hey, all that cool stuff you heard, it's not really true. It's just kind of, it's just kind of back to zero again. What are you doing? Getting excited? What are you stupid? Don't do that. No, no, we don't know. But no, it is, it is exciting. Um, but yeah, the, the vast majority of this, I think, is going to be kind of trying to bring things back to center a little bit. And by the way, I haven't even seen any official releases of any kind. All I've seen is the uh, release by Matt Schneidman. And and usually the way this works is you start scanning all the other teams and all the other leaks. There'll be maybe like a leak or two about... Actually, Green Bay's home games leak out because I think there's a guy that has a connection probably with the hotels. And so what happens is they'll call into the hotels once once the the schedule comes out the teams start schedule you know there's a schedule I'm sure that handles all this stuff they start reaching out and saying hey this is so and so from the Jacksonville Jaguars we need to uh, book out some rooms 
on these dates. And they do that prior to the release because everyone else, when we find out Green Bay is a home game on these dates, everything's going to book up. So the teams need to do that first. But when the teams call in and say, we need something on this date, that tips off people that, hey, we're playing the Jaguars on this day at home. So I think somebody, I forget, like, what was it, Kyle Cousineau or something? Is that the guy? I can't exactly remember, but it's somebody that's on Packers Twitter that I think has some kind of an in with the hotels, would be my guess. And so he, we essentially get a leak of the home games, and then we kind of patch it and stitch it from there. Um, and then, I, I, again, I really want to dive in more to the uh, divisional opponents that we have, the Vikings and Lions and whatnot, but um, we have too much to talk about for the Green Bay Packers, but I, I at least want to touch on... At least one other thing. We, we heard about the situation with um, Zedarius Smith, where he wanted off the team and essentially said goodbye to the team. Um, said the whole, you know, the whole thing on social media. Hey, it was great. Thank you, Vikings, all that stuff. And then they, I believe, ended up coming back to a agreement. But there's still some talks about, I mean, not official talks, but, you know, rumblings about potential trades or whatever. Very, very weird situation where it sounds like he wants off the team. But there's also an issue with Dalvin Cook. Apparently, Dalvin is in a similar situation where, and again, I'm 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 just kind of new to this news. I've been digging around. Somebody sent me an article. I apologize. I forget who it was on Twitter. And the problem with the article was it assumed I knew a whole lot about the situation. And it basically said there's no resolution on his contract. I look at his contract. He's under contract for like three more years. Um, let me look at it real quick here. Uh, he's got a base salary of $10.4 million dollars. Uh, it's a total cap hit of 14.1. And um, yeah, 2024, he has a, a salary of $12 million. And uh, 2025, it's 12.9. So, I mean, a lot of his money is in his actual salary, but it seems like a pretty good chunk of money. I, I don't know exactly what the situation is, whether the Vikings are wanting to give him a pay cut or if he's just saying, I want out of here. I haven't been able to get a massive amount of clarity on it. But let me read this. I found this from MSN.com. Most of the things are just referencing what the GM said about, you know, we haven't quite resolved the issue. And I'm like, what the heck is the issue? It says, again, via MSN.com, this was written by Cody Benjamin. The 2023 NFL offseason is moving right along with free agency and the draft, both in the rear view. And yet there's still no clarity regarding the future of Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. Although he's under contract for another three seasons, the pro bowler is still in talks with Team Brass about a potential departure. Head coach Kevin O'Connell hinted this week. Some of the other articles talked about, you know, there's there's other questions about like Justin Jefferson. Obviously, that guy's going to get paid. And um, the the point of it was he's very quick. The, the head coach was very quick to answer like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to pay him. He's going to stay, all this stuff. But then when asked about Dalvin Cook, it's like, yeah, you know, in fact, his official quote is, I tend to let uh, Kwesi work through those things. I just can't tell you what Dalvin meant uh, meant to me. So that seems telling. Not only in year one as one of our core leaders of our team, but also just the impact he had on the field. But we want what's best for Dalvin, and Dalvin knows that, and we continue to work through that situation. Goes on to say, I don't take for granted having had Dalvin Cook on this team and what that's meant to me as a coach here in year one. We'll see where things go with the rest of the se- the offseason. They're still working through some things, and I'm sure we'll come to a great resolution. And if that means Dalvin Cook is still playing running back for the Vikings, that's something that will be a really good thing for me as a head coach and play caller. So, I mean, just based on the way he's phrasing that, it sounds like he's gone. And they're working to see if they can find uh, a, an agreement to bring him back, which is a weird way to phrase it. I mean, especially looking at it from the Packers standpoint, where the Packers generally approach things, and I don't know how Matt LaFleur would do it, but I, I guarantee you if Brian Gutekunst was at the podium, he would not phrase it that way. Because the way he generally does things is he is under contact uh, under contract with the Green Bay Packers. He will be playing with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, this via Pro Football Rumors says, mentioned as both a trade and release candidate this offseason, Dalvin Cook remains with the Vikings, but the parties continue to sort through the Pro Bowl running back's contract situation. It sounds like, based on this, that really they're asking him to take a pay cut and he doesn't want to do it. Um, it says, the Vikings do not appear prepared to carry Cook's $10.4 million base salary and $14 million cap number into the coming season. Only $2 million of Cook's salary is guaranteed, giving the Vikings some wiggle room in the coming weeks. Now, that doesn't mean that's what their um, dead cap hit would be. That's just the remaining guarantees, but they still have signing bonuses and everything else that get prorated. It would be an $8.2 million dead cap hit, which sucks because you look at it and say, would you rather have him for 14 or not have him for 8? You could carry him this year and then next year release him and it's only a $3 million dead cap hit, which I guess effectively means it's 
um, 17 million, right? 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah, I can add. So it would be 17 million for one year or 8.2 million for zero years, which I guess makes it a little bit more clear you'd rather get rid of them when you phrase it that way. Sounds like they did talk to Miami possibly for a little bit about bringing him over, but uh, Miami brought back Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, and drafted Devin A-Chain, so that's probably not a thing. And yeah, even this article goes on to say that even though um, Zadarius Smith is currently with the team, there's still some talk about potentially, you know, maybe after June 1st or something, these guys could be on the trade, cut, release, whatever market. And it's tough, man. I mean, you know, again, as as we look at some of the positives about the younger team, you look at the benefit of the locker room, right? The, the inexperience is a negative. The locker room, you would assume, would be more of a positive. The locker room's a big deal. And Zadarius Smith is an absolute, uh, he, he's, he is, I don't know what you would call it. He is like the sun in terms of his gravitational pull in that locker room. When he, I mean, he, he was, he, he basically fixed our locker room when he showed up. His energy and everything else, I mean, it just reverberated throughout the entire locker room. But look what happened when he turned sour and suddenly he went negative. The entire locker room went dark. And um, that stuff can happen fast. And so when you've got one of the leaders on your defense, even though he's only been there for a year, you know Zadarius is a leader in that defense, basically saying goodbye, I don't want to be here anymore. And then one of the more veteran leaders on the offense saying, I don't want to be here anymore. It's not a good thing. And I, I tend to think it'd be better to just let them both go. Uh, specifically Dalvin, because you know as much respect as Dalvin has earned for being an absolute just force for that team the amount of beatings he's taken the amount of carries he's had and um i mean i think he just recently passed or is nearing passing into the number three spot all-time uh yardage i think rushing yard carrier whatever it just doesn't make sense um i think it's a team that runs well at least it used to be a team that ran well kind of no matter what right you look at dalvin you're like dude dalvin is so good then madison takes over it's like oh wait i guess madison's really it, it doesn't matter now this team, I don't necessarily know. Because remember, they, they went into more of a spread passing kind of a situation. The passing obviously um, seemed to to explode and become a great offense and all that, but Dalvin's production kind of took a hit. And so the value of a top-end running back, if you can even call him that anymore, because let's be honest, he's getting older, he's taking a ton of beatings, I don't see the value in paying him as much money as his contract says. So it makes sense that the Vikings are looking at it and saying, look, man, this just is not a thing. We're not going to be able to do this. We got to figure something out. And again, if, if this becomes he wants out also, you just, you got to get it done. It's, I mean, it's similar to the, it's not as massive as the Aaron Rodgers situation, but it is similar. It's nothing but negative and toxic and too much money and just unnecessary for the team and its future to carry him any further. So find a trade partner, see what you can get for him and get rid of him. And if you can't, then you just got to cut him. And no, we're not going to sign Dalvin Cook if he gets released. I know that'll be a big thing among Packer fans. We should go get him. He's going to be cheap. No, we we just we don't need another running back. And no, he's not going to come here and be a receiver or any other kind of ideas that you might have. We're good. Anyways, a couple other minor Green Bay Packers things. Um, Northwestern State defensive back William Hoop Hooper signs with the Packers after a successful rookie minicamp tryout, according to one of his agencies according to Aaron Wilson. So we got Hoop in the building. And then uh, Packers released long snapper Jack Coco and signed long snapper B.R. Hatcher, Old Dominion, uh, in his place, according to J.J. Leahy. Also signed uh, defensive lineman Antonio Moultrie, Miami, to round out the roster to 90. Moultrie had transferred to the U from UAB. A little bit sad for Coco, but uh, welcome to Mr. B.R. Hatcher. Antonio Moultrie, and William Hoop Hooper. Uh, the only other thing that I kind of very briefly wanted to touch on, um, there was a, another ESPN article about this trade, kind of detailing the, the back end of it. Most of it was kind of word for word exactly. I'm not saying he copied them, obviously, but it, the details line up pretty much exactly as were laid out in the other article that we looked at. This one by uh, Rob Domofsky and Rich Samini. One of the things that kind of gets jumbled is my, in my head is the, the timeline of everything, but one of the interesting things that I thought was the fact that prior to the combine, the Packers were kind of given a heads up um, about what Rodgers was kind of planning to do. And again, the only reason I bothered to point that out is because, again, there is this notion that the Packers were 
shopping him, and there is some horrific immorality in that, which again, there doesn't need to be any explanation as to why he would do his due diligence and try to prepare for a potential situation. But now that we find that even prior to the combine, uh, it says, while Rodgers may not have informed the Jets of his decision immediately, the Packers were operating as if this were the case. In fact, a source said Rodgers agent David Dunn had informed the Packers of this even before the NFL combine, which began February 27th. So prior to, so call it mid-February at some point, the Packers had a pretty good idea where Rodgers was leaning. Um, Otherwise, it kind of just makes it seem like this whole thing was a little bit of a cluster, maybe a little bit more than the other article. Um, Basically, you know, again, there there was that period where they worked together, then they went dark, and then they came back and worked it out. And it it seemed like some people were kind of confused by that because they were very close prior to there being no deal. And then when they came back and actually finalized it, it sounds like the deal was actually very close to where they already were before. So it's like, why, why couldn't... Why couldn't you have just pushed it over the edge then, you know? But I'm sure that's all just a part of the negotiating aspect of it, trying to walk away from the table to, you know, we're, we're just trying to get that little extra. Again, they kind of reiterated that uh, Gutekunst did try to set up, not only did he call him, but he set up in-person meetings. Rogers never returned his calls. This was even before his darkness retreat. Darkness retreat was done in late February. And then I found this part interesting. Gutekunst then laid out to Dunn what he planned to tell Rogers. Quote, it was... If this is the way it's going to be, ghosting the Packers, and he wants to be back, we need to have those conversations. Dunn talked to Aaron at some point, and then he said he wants to keep playing, he wants to be a Jet. So, I mean, again, there's just this sort of childishness to it that that Gutekunst just got fed up with and said, listen, this is freaking stupid. I need to know what's going on. If he wants to come back here, he needs to answer his freaking phone, talk to me, and tell me about it. We got to know what's going on. So his agent talks to Rogers. Rogers doesn't call back Gutekunst and say, hey man, sorry about that, here's the situation. No, he doesn't do any of that. He then tells Dunn what to tell Gutekunst, Dunn tells Gutekunst. He's like, fine, great, cool, done. Let me go do get this worked out now. Because remember, Gutekunst is essentially working for Aaron Rodgers here. As much as Rodgers is trying to stick it to him, he's kind of sticking it to himself because Gutekunst is the guy that's going to get this deal done for you. So you still need to talk to him. You need to communicate to him. You need to let him know what you want to do and what the conditions and terms are going to be. Crying out loud, dude. But uh, that's about it. It, He kind of gave some more details about some other stuff that he'd been doing. It's kind of funny because I mentioned how he's probably going to be getting like free stuff everywhere he goes, which is super cool. And it does mention that he got an on-the-house slice of pizza at Midtown Joint and attended three sporting events at Madison Square Garden. Also said he... uh, uh, went and did a round of golf with head coach Sala and dined in Manhattan with teammate Sauce Gardner. Which again, th- this is this is all very good, and this is exactly what he needs to be doing, and this is awesome. He's happy, he's living it up, he's a freaking king over there. There's a picture of him fist-bumping Spike Lee, who is just a massive figure. I, I don't know much about Spike Lee or about the, is it the Knicks? I don't even know. But I know he's a fixture over there. I remember there was a big hubbub one day when he was just walking down a tunnel like he owned the place and got in trouble. And he freaked out, like, do you freaking know who I am? And eventually, I think they apologized to him or something, but it's, he, he, he is like a fixture. So for him to walk over and like fist bump you or whatever, it's just like a sign of like New York welcoming you, you know? And I'll be honest, I mean, it's just, it is a cool thing for him. He is a massive celebrity and he's being treated like it. And he can't get that in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And he's kind of a secluded guy. So he kind of, you know, he does his thing in Wisconsin. He does have a couple little charity events, this, that, or the other, and he'll, he'll go to the horse racing thing and kind of get dressed up or whatever. But usually he's, he's off doing things out in the middle of nowhere. So there is a part of me that sees this, and I'm like, that's kind of cool, man. He is a freaking king over there in New York. And he should be, getting free steak dinners and the fanciest restaurants in the entire, I mean, not, not even in New York. I'm talking in the world. Massive events. I mean, you know, he goes to Bucks games and slams a beer. Tries to, but I mean, even that is like, it's just not who he is. He's like, uh, I don't want to call him dainty. He's a football player. He's gotten hit by guys, you know, that are built like Mack trucks, but he's more about like the fine dine, the, the finer things in life, you know? David Bakhtiari is a slam a beer guy. Rogers is a sip a beer guy. That's if he's forced to drink a beer, like a sporting event or something. But leaving apart the whole, why didn't he do that here? Whatever. It's a, it's a done thing. It was just a bad pairing at this point. It needed to be separated. It probably should have been a long time ago. And that's that's shame on both Gutekunst and Aaron Rodgers, I think. You know, Gutekunst was blinded by the MVPs, which, again, I think is understandable. But, um, you know, you, you got to realize this whole thing has become toxic. He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't like you. You don't like him. It's just a complete mess. Um, 
and it, it turned into one. And I'm sure Gutekunst was freaking embarrassed because it's like, yeah, obviously this was going to happen. Um, and also Rodgers, again, he took a massive contract knowing that he really just didn't want to be here. He didn't want to do it. You know, it's like he was fighting for this one thing. And then once he got it, it's like, well, crap, now what? Now I got to play here. Well, that sucks. And also, I, th I think there is a part of him that feels nostalgia towards Green Bay. I'm psychologizing the whole thing now, if that's even a word. But I, I believe him when he says he wanted to retire a Packer and all that. But, you know, it's, it's one thing to, I don't know how to even say it. You want it, but you don't want it. You know what I mean? Like, I like the idea of being retired a Green Bay Packer and having only played here and to walk off into the sunset a legend. But I don't want to play here anymore. And I do want to go to the Jets and live it up. So I, I on, on a very strict robotic level, you're both freaking idiots and screw you for screwing up 2022 for us, both of you. But on a human level, I kind of look at it and go, I get it, man. It is what it is. I don't think there's too much devastation left in the wake aside from uh, 2022 not turning. But at the same time, we got a higher pick for it. We ended up getting Lucas Van Ness and a bunch of other higher second round, third round, all the way down. We get higher picks. We get better picks because we had a worse year. We got the quarterback. We didn't scare him off. He got another year to develop. He probably wouldn't have been as developed last year. Who knows? I don't know. So it is what it is. But I think everybody's in a good spot. You know, I think the Jets are. I think the Packers are. I think the Lions are. Bears fans seem to be pretty happy about their situation for some weird reason. Not sure about Vikings fans. I feel like there's a little. Actually, you know what? Somebody answered that question for me. We'll do that. And then we'll get to the schedule here in a second. Mr. Peter Larson, uh, obviously a Vikings fan. I'm, I'm, I'm stunned at how stereotypical all the names are. And I've probably said that every time I've referenced him, but it just cracks me up. It's like all the skis in, in Chicago, you know, because they're Polish. Anyways, here's what Peter said, because I keep saying that. I don't know how the Vikings fans are feeling. I haven't talked to him. I haven't heard anything. It, it seems a little shaky over there, but whatever. He says, I think the overall sentiment is regression from last season. We had one of the worst defenses in the league last year, and it was shocking that they took Jordan Addison at pick 23 when both Joey Porter Jr. and Deontay Banks were sitting there. So that's kind of interesting, too, and I, I guess I wish I was a little bit more plugged in on that. We could have done a little bit more on the live stream in terms of what you know Vikings fans, Bears fans, and all. I think I kind of had a pulse on what Bears fans wanted, and I think they got it in a tackle. Um but the, the, you know, the Lions fans and Vikings fans to, to kind of see how that all panned out because I saw Jordan Addison and I, I kind of get it because, you know, I, as a Packer fan, it's like, oh, crap, that's a little bit scary with the offense. But at the same time, your defense is still kind of garbage, right? So I, I, I get that where it's like, okay, cool, but what about this defense? And we had some really good options there, especially Porter, who was supposed to be, you know, supposed to be in, in quotations, but kind of a, a guy that should have been gone at that point. Um he says, that being said, there's a lot of excitement about having Brian Flores as defensive coordinator, and I have to assume the reason they uh, didn't take a corner at 23 has to, something to do with trust in Flores. Our top two picks last year both had season-ending injuries last season and saw very limited time on the field. Um, and those were both DBs. I don't know if you said that and I missed it or what, but I think they're both DBs. The Bears did two DBs. I think the Vikings did two. Um, so another big talking point in Minnesota is anticipation to see if both Lewis Seen and Andrew – there you go. You got Seen and Booth – can make improvements in year two. So that is another factor. And, and I don't even remember, uh, I think Flores, well, no, Flores came from New England initially, and then Miami, and then the whole everybody's racist thing, and then he disappeared, and then he came back and went to Minnesota. Just trying to think what that means for the defense schematically, because I feel like the schematic changes really hurt their defense. But I, I, I think it's like most things in the NFL these days is kind of a hybrid 3-4-4-3 thing. Either way, it doesn't really matter because you got three, four guys and four, three guys. So whatever you do, there's going to be kind of a mismatch situation there. But uh, it goes on to say they're obviously very optimistic about the uh, the offense. Lots of questions about the quarterback. What are they going to do going into next year? He says there's some buzz that the the Vikings were real trying real hard to trade up on the off chance that some of these quarterbacks fell so that they could replace Cousins. Uh, they were working the phones real hard, but it just didn't fall in place. And, and again, without diving in, that all seems entirely reasonable to me. I mean, it, it was a, we'll call it what it was, a fraudulent season last year. I mean, they earned the wins. It is what it is. But, you know, based on the talent in terms of how much can we expect going forward, I, I don't think you expect all that much. Um, the offense was good. There's no reason to think it would be any worse, potentially better, depending on uh, Jordan Addison. Um, defense is still a massive concern. We'll see what Flores can do. Um, and as always, the NFC North is, is generally seen as much as we can bicker back and forth. It's a weak division. Um, there's really no team that I think you should put a ton of money on even making the playoffs. Somebody has to, I don't even know who that would be. I really don't like I rag on the bears. I don't think they're that far behind anybody. 
Now, again, we'll see. I think the Packers have the pieces in place. Jordan Love is a major component in that. Um, and if he can be really good, and if, and if, if, if. But that's the thing. Every team has those ifs. If Justin Fields takes off, and this offensive line is actually pretty solid, which I think it kind of is because I think they were kind of full of it last year when they said it wasn't. But if he can take a massive step, they've got why. I mean, Mooney was always a decent enough wide receiver. I think he fell off because the offense was a joke last year. But you've got some good wide receivers. Komet is decent enough. Defense is, is certainly a question, and I don't think they've fixed it. But, I mean, they could be very much what the Vikings were last year. Potentially even better if, you know, again, if Justin Fields can pass on top of being able to run. Um, Minnesota Vikings, again, I mean, they, they have a, a extremely dynamic offense, great offensive line. They got a quarterback that played phenomenal last year as far as your expectations for the guy. I think he got some really good wide receivers whenever, you know, the other guys come back from suspension. But you still got Amon Ra, who I think is good to go. Uh, it's really just a matter of, if, again, like everything else, fix the defense and you're good. Same with the Vikings. Same with the Packers. So, um, if you told me any one of the four teams missed the playoffs, it wouldn't be surprising. If you told me any one of the four teams made the playoffs, I probably wouldn't be surprised, with the exception maybe of the Chicago Bears. But the surprise would mostly be like, oh, crap. <laughs> Dang it. They got good. That's not good. Um, should we just do the schedule? Let, let's do the schedule on the other side of the break, just because that makes more sense. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is where you can support the podcast if you're so interested in doing such things. Uh, also, please consider checking out Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. See if that um, is a uh, charity ministry that uh, aligns with your values that you'd be interested in supporting. It'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, again, FertileGroundRanch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so the schedule release, which again is not officially official for me, um, but I relatively trusted, I guess. Uh, came out uh, Matt Schneidman just like, hey, I uh, got a source that this is the schedule, so there you go. I tend to trust that. Packers full schedule, 2023 per source. Five primetime games, even without Rodgers. Love's first game as a full-time starter will be in Chicago, Thanksgiving in Detroit. Devontae Adams versus Packers for the first time on Monday Night Football Week 5. Super Bowl champions at Lambeau on Sunday Night Football Week 13. Those are the highlights by match nine I mean, let's go through the schedule as a whole here though the first game is going to be a 325 game this is all central time stuff it's packers podcast deal with it week one september 10th 325 at the chicago bears i don't like that i didn't like it back when when it was aaron Rodgers. um not even just because you know while the packers come out flat i think i think early on in the season things are a little bit wonky um I don't exactly know how I feel about the Green Bay Packers week one in terms of how they're going to come out compared to how they're going to play the rest of the year. Um, I also don't like that it's in Chicago, you know. Um, I, I guess one of the ways that you could look at it is they probably see this as a win for the Chicago Bears. Now, they like that. They want Fields to be like, hey, at home, beating the, the, the Green Bay Packers, new king of the north, all that BS, right? That's the expectation. In Chicago, like Chicago's got a new thing. It's a new new king of the north, all that stuff. That's what they think is going to happen. That's what they want to happen. That is absolutely the expectation. And then, guess what? 
Week 18, Chicago Bears in Lambeau. What is this for? Redemption. You assume young team, young quarterback hasn't got into their groove yet. They'll be at full peak, essentially. Whatever they are is, is you know, at their best is going to be the final of this. The, the... So the point is, if I could speak, this is redemption, right? This is a, a better version of the Green Bay Packers coming back, trying to at least say, not in our house. I think at the very least, that is that is the thought process behind this. That's going to be the drama. That's going to be the narrative. Now, again, does does the drama benefit the actual teams in terms of getting them what they would know but but it doesn't matter it's all about putting this stuff out there so i think that's the thought process do i think we're going to beat the bear the bears in chicago i mean it's it's obviously a nearly impossible question to answer but i do think that there's a a, a very good chance that it does happen i also think it's going to lean heavily on the defense which is where the locker room thing comes in is there going to be a team rallying around its quarterback? We've seen this with other teams, not even guys that are necessarily taking over. Again, the the um, Carolina Panthers last year had, uh, what, P.J. Walker step up? The entire team rallied around the guy. It was a big joke, right? The, the Carolina Panthers are terrible. They lost their quarterback. Some guy, P.J. Walker, is coming in. Nobody's ever heard of him. They're, they're, so they're underdog. They rallied around him. Is this team, not just the wide receivers, not just Aaron Jones, is the entire team going to rally and, and have a chip on their shoulder based on the fact that nobody believes in them, but also is willing to help and carry Jordan Love. Because the defense is going to need to step up and absolutely thrash this offense. I don't necessarily think it's a good thing to get into a shootout. Not that the Bears necessarily want that either, but you know, make it a, a little bit more of a soft landing. Lower that bar a little bit for uh, Jordan Love. Because I think they can, there's no reason they can't operate. Can they run a football? Of course they can run. Especially against the Bears, who I think were one of the worst at defending the run last year. Can they pass? Yes. They were, they were, I mean, Jordan Love came in, was throwing all over the Eagles, which is one of the better defenses in football. The Chicago Bears have one of the worst. They don't have very much pass rush, so Jordan Love should have time, although he doesn't need it. It was funny when I was looking at Bears fans were screaming about Justin Fields and the pressure, and I was trying to explain to them, which they refused to understand, that, um, his mobility was part of the reason that there were so many pressures, because if you hold on to the ball for more than 2.5 seconds, which he does regularly, um, you're going to have more pressures, you're going to have more sacks. It's, it's why, you know, again, the Green Bay Packers' pressure numbers and sack numbers went up when we stopped focusing on pressuring and started focusing on coverage. Why? Because when we cover better, the quarterbacks held the ball longer. Pressures are more a function of keeping the quarterback in the pocket longer than about getting those guys who can get to the quarterback in 2.48 seconds. Because that's probably just not going to happen very often. But on the other end of the spectrum, when I looked at Justin Fee- or Jordan Love, he was actually, and it was, again, a very small sample size, but his time to throw, I think, was the lowest in the entire NFL. And also when you look at time to sack, by the you know how long did they have the ball by the time they were sacked? Justin Fields, over four seconds. Over four seconds. On average, when he was sacked, he had held the ball for four seconds. So this is not an offensive line just letting guys fly through, and he goes down after a second. He said, well, maybe he was scrambling for four seconds. That's just not the reality. There are people who I saw taking screenshots of Justin Fields at the 2.5 second mark in a perfectly clean pocket. All four of those screenshots ended in a sack. So anyways, if the offensive line can, can hold up its end, if the running backs, you know, again, this is all about rallying. This is similar to what we saw. I mean, obviously massively different situation, but just a similar in that you have a team rallying when Brett Favre's dad died and Favre was just launching rockets down the field. And these wide receivers said, we're, we're not dropping a freaking ball. And that's what they said in the locker room. And they're skying up in the air, just mossing people all day long, making sure that they catch every single ball that gets thrown down the field. So this offensive line needs to step up. The running backs need to step up. The wide receivers, you know, no drops, like just a crisp, clean operation. And I think if they can do that, there's a potential to embarrass the Chicago Bears. If the defense can hold up its end and really keep the offense, the Bears offense from scoring and the Packers, here, here, let me, let me just say this. I think when, when people look at um, Jordan Love, they think like, uh, you know, I don't know, Justin Fields-ish or Jalen Hurts or whatever. I would almost point more to like Tom Brady, but with some mobility. Really, his time to throw was one of the lowest in the entire NFL. You know who he was tied with? Tom Brady. When, when, when you go back and watch Tom Brady with the New England Patriots and the way that he operated, he was just so unbelievably surgical within the scheme. He just knew where to put the ball at all times, and it just seemed easy. There was no pressure because he got the ball out so quick. And the scheme was just perfect. You know, it's just 
when you run these routes, if you're able to analyze the defense and understand what the defense is doing, you'll, you'll know which receiver should be open and at what time. And everything is tied to the timing of it. So when you reach your third step or whatever it is, the ball comes out and you know where to put it. And it was just a, a completely frustrating thing because you're looking at it and it's like, I don't know what you're supposed to do to stop that. Dusty Evely did a little thing. He was detailing the uh, some of the plays, and it was actually a little disheartening that it looked like we ran like the same play three times because it kind of felt a little bit like, look, what's the one thing you can do, and we'll just do that over and over again. But anyways, the great thing is his ability to read the defense. It wasn't just there's one target, and I'm just going to keep throwing it to him. No, the target was determined based on the defense. So two times he hit one guy on the one route, and then it looks like the defense kind of made some adjustments to take that away, and he saw that, read that, and threw to the other receiver. And again, you got the Eagles on their heels. They're, they're expecting to just tear this guy apart. And they're like, what the heck, dude? That's a little bit more what I think this offense should look like in its full fruition. It's it's very similar to what you saw with the Patriots. It's not, not necessarily this high-flying offense, although, of course, you're going to want to take some shots to Watson if he's open down the field. But it's all just in rhythm, timing, and it's just it's incredibly frustrating for a defense to deal with. And you're going to bleed them all the way down the field. You're going to tire out their defense. And if you can continually do that, and that's, again, the biggest thing with Jordan Love, it's not can you do it, but can you be consistent? If, if it's going to take 10 plays to get down there, and on the ninth play you throw a pick, this isn't going to work. So anyways, that's kind of my thoughts on, on this offense at its best. And of course, again, you, you, you got some shots down the field to Watson and, and Musgrave and all this, all this stuff that can build off of everything. But um, again, what, how long is it going to take to get to that? And can you do that week one? And, and, and again, the schedule makers clearly think this is a win for the Chicago Bears. That's what they want. And then they want week 18 to be the redemption game after the Packers have, have grown and we've seen them grow together. Anyways, week two, September 17th at the Falcons. Now, this is one of those things where everybody looks at it and says, well, this team is trash. That's a W. couple things. Number, number one, there are um, two road games. It's just road game, road game to start off the season. This is a noon game, if I didn't say that on Fox. But one of the things that always frustrates me is the constant belief that what happened last year is exactly what's going to happen this year. We have no idea what the Falcons are going to be. Now, assuming Desmond Ritter really is their quarterback, I have some concerns. I mean, he was, I think, my favorite quarterback in that draft class, but that doesn't mean anything. It was a terrible draft class, and Ritter was kind of terrible in his little um, time last year. But that doesn't mean he's not going to take a step. They have a elite offensive line. They have one of the better tight ends, even though he took a step back last year. But Kyle Pitts is a freaking madman. Drake London was borderline top 10 wide receiver as a rookie. There are some deficiencies. They don't really have uh, the, the number twos. But if you get a number one wide receiver, a great offensive line, and a great tight end. By the way, they drafted Bijan Robinson. And then on defense, you know, again, they, they have some issues. And it's a team that that's kind of seen as their biggest area of weakness is their defense. But they've got some people. And we've seen that in the past where, it, you know, the, the quote-unquote defense is bad, but you got these guys just wrecking everything, right? Uh, they went out and got Jesse Bates, which was a big acquisition for them at safety. They got the big boys on the inside, Grady Jarrett, who, you know, he maybe hasn't necessarily been at his peak since 2020, 2019-ish, but he's still a big, bad, scary man. On top of that, they went out and got Mr. Calais Campbell, who's, believe it or not, still going. At 36, going to be 37 years old, um, and he's still playing at a high level. He was ranked... Number 15 overall out of 127. I don't know if they, they grade him as an interior guy. Yeah, he's an interior guy. I know he goes off the edge sometimes, but number 15 interior guy in the NFL at pushing 40 years old. The guy is an absolute freak show. Now, do they have edge rushers? Not really. Do they have corners? I mean, they went out, they traded for Jeff Okuda, who was kind of terrible. Um, to, to put it in perspective, and I, I'm spending a lot of time on this, but 61st, 76th, and 77th best corners is what they had. You can work with that, right? But the point is, they've got an offense that can be scary. It's in Atlanta, in their dome, second week in a row on the road, potentially coming off a loss. Falcons could be a, a high-flying team in terms of putting up points. And, and again, they, they don't have a good defense as a whole, but they've got some game wreckers. Then week three is going to be at home finally against the Saints. So this will be the first time we get to come home in uh, Lambeau, which is going to be an awesome site. I'm sure that the uh, the crowd is going to be rocking. Hopefully we're not starting 0-2, hopefully coming off a win. We need the, the crowd just rip-roaring, um, supporting the team. And again, it's, it's a team that's not seen as a very good one. It should be relatively auto-win. It's not. They got Carr. Carr is a decent quarterback. And when you put Carr with Alvin Kamara and um, Michael Thomas and Chris Olave 
who was the 14th best wide receiver as a rookie. I mean, there's some potential there. And then you know their defense is pretty scary. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore, again, he continues to regress. I don't know what his problem is, but we know that the guy's got some kind of talent. But really, the scary part is everything else. Um, The defensive front is terrifying, and they added Brian Brzee. I didn't really like him, but it was a first-round pick to add to bolster their defensive line. Then they have Mario Davis, one of the best linebackers in football. Then they have uh, Tyron Matthew and Marcus May at safety. So this is a scary defense. The only real weakness that I can see is the interior offensive line and maybe the corners. Then we're at home against the Detroit Lions. Lions have a really good offensive line. Amon Ross St. Brown graded out as the second best wide receiver in football last year. Jared Goff is solid. They, they added Gibbs at running back. They added Laporta at tight end. Defense, again, is going to be their weakness. But uh, they did draft Brian Branch. Um, they've got uh, Tracy Walker, who's had some really solid years there. They drafted the linebacker in the uh, first round. They got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who I'm assuming is going to be playing in the slot, slot safety kind of thing. So again, similar, very similar to the Saints. They've got some high-flying ability on, um, actually very similar to the Saints and the Falcons. A lot of potential on offense, some deficiencies on weakness, uh, deficiencies and weaknesses on defense, but also some potential on defense. You know, Aiden Hutchinson can be, he, he was 21st as a rookie. No saying whether or not he could crack that top 10 this year. Who knows? Um, then we're back on the road, three out of five against the Raiders on Monday night football. So we got the Raiders, Devontae Adams. Um, now this is maybe the worst team we're going to face, but it's still scary. You know, you got Devontae just looking to make a statement. They got Hunter Renfro. They got Jimmy Garoppolo. I I tend to like Carr more than Garoppolo. I think Garoppolo was a, a beneficiary of a really good system. And now I think he's in a completely putrid uh, offense. Granted, it's still the New England thing, but I, I just I don't like their head coach at all. I just think it's a joke. Uh, Jacobs is their running back. He was the number one ranked running back. Similar to, I think, the Saints. They got two good tackles and a terrible interior. But you got a quarterback, you got a running back, you got wide receiver. I mean, these teams are all identical. We're facing like the same team every single week. Great wide receivers. Capable but not super elite quarterback. Really good running back. Uh, either good or... You know, everybody's got good tackles. A couple teams don't have a good interior. And then the defense is the weakness. Although, Crosby, top five pass rusher. Duke Shelley emerged last year. I don't know how real that is, but that was a thing. Um, The defense is, it's probably the worst defense we're going to face. But again, elite pass rusher and um, the potential to put up some points. Then we have an early buy. A lot of concerns about the early buy. But I know we were talking about this as a group before. And and I think, um, as JJ phrased it, 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 it makes sense to say that we, we don't really know what kind of a buy we're going to need. You know, um, there are times when you get really banged up early and you just need a break. Uh, one of the things that I had mentioned was the bye week was when our defensive coordinator kind of figured out, he made some tweaks and figured out a better way to utilize our defense. What if that had happened last year in week six instead of week 14 or whatever it was? Potentially we could have had a better season. So it'll be a good time to make some adjustments and get some rest. And yeah, it's a long stretch. Um, but who knows? We, we don't really know when the buy is going to be most beneficial. Generally, you look at it and say, well, you'd like it to be like right in the middle or something so there's no long stretches. That that does make sense for just that one purpose, but there's a lot of other things a buy we can do, and there's a lot of other variables that we just don't know, like injuries and whatnot. You know, a bunch of guys got a bunch of tweaked an- ankle injuries, and who knows, maybe, maybe they'll all be ready to come back week seven at Broncos, which will be a good time to come back and make a freaking statement. And look, this is going to be a little bit of a gauntlet. As much as you look and say, well, the Bears suck, the Falcons suck, the Saints suck, the Lions are okay, but they missed the playoff, they suck, Raiders suck. Yeah, but they've all got, I mean, everybody's an NFL football team, first of all. And they've all got talent somewhere. And it's just a matter of if they can maximize the talent they have, they can really put you in a bind. But that's where the team has to come together. I mean, this could just be wins across the board. If the defense is just playing at a high level and the offense is efficient, we still have a top special teams, we could be 5-0 and going into the bye. We could also be 0-5 if things just aren't clicking. But either way, this is a good time to come out and make a statement because it's the freaking Denver Broncos. Granted, it's at Denver. And by the way, I do expect them to come out better after a bye week. Maybe they won't. Maybe because they're young and they're being stupid, who knows, but you know, if this is the team that I want it to be with the right kind of attitude and the right kind of locker room, they should come out more ready than ever because they've been working the entire time in that bye week, just getting ready to go. But, um, you know, Den- Denver has got some issues, but they still got some talent. You know, if Wilson kind of figures it out or whatever, I have no idea. They've obviously got a new offensive coordinator over there now, new head coach, the whole, the whole shebang. So if they can get Wilson back to being Wilson again, 
They went out and got Mike McGlinchey, so they got a couple good tackles. Pretty similar situation to before. Uh, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, so they got some wide receivers. Patrick Sertan was a, a, a the second best corner graded last year, but again, relatively weak, I guess. Relatively. I mean, it's it's pretty average to good at most places. 60s and low 70s everywhere with the exception of Patrick Sertan. So again, these are all opportunities here. You know, I mean, it's kind of interesting because all of these teams are kind of like riding in the middle. All these teams are like, if you're a playoff team, if you're a Super Bowl caliber team, if you're the Chiefs or the Broncos or the Broncos, the the Bills or the whatever, you should beat these teams. But if you're not very good, these teams could easily beat you. If you're kind of in the middle, then you're just gonna, you know, you're you're. I, I we'll we'll just see how it goes. They're all a toss up, but. That'll be the kind of interesting thing to, to gauge where the Packers are actually at. And then, of course, the Vikings, week 8, October 29th at noon. That's in Minnesota, so it's again on the road. We've had two... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. This is versus Vikings, so it's at home. The first one's at home. I was going to say, good Lord, we're on the road a lot. And again, we talked about the Vikings, right? Great offense, bad defense, but we got to see how that manifests itself. November 5th, another home game. This time is the Rams. Hopefully, we keep the same juju because we've been beating up on the Rams for a while. They're they're just kind of a mess right now. I think regardless of um, the situation, I mean, we got a new quarterback and all that kind of stuff. But we've been beating up on them for a while. They're they're in such a bind right now. They got no draft picks. They got no money. You know, they they got Stafford, but he took a big step back. He's got some real serious injury concerns. They got a decent running back, kind of a mid to bad offensive line. They do have Cooper Cup. Uh, which obviously is fine. They don't really have anything else. They still have Aaron Donald, who's still Aaron Donald. He's still a freak among freaks. Um, actually, his worst year since his rookie year, but it was a 90.5 because he's just an absolute monster of a human being. But there really isn't anybody else that's even, I would say, moderately good. Uh, they did draft Byron Young in the third round. They, they've not been able to capitalize on any edge rushers f- since forever. Um We'll see if that does anything. They also drafted Steve Avila in the second round to play guard. We'll see if that pans out, but probably not. So this one needs to be a win. The the Rams should just get absolutely beat on. Don't know, right? But I just don't see much hope for them. Uh, Then the Steelers are um, at the Steelers. Another noon game, November 12th. This one I think will actually be interesting. I I think Pickett is is, uh, potentially going to take a big step. When I was looking at the quarterbacks again, just trying to pick on Justin Fields, I remember looking at it and saying, you know, if you, if we can look at his stats and say, well, he's going to be fine, why wouldn't we look at Pickett? Because he's better in, like, every single category. So, you know, Pickett came in as a rookie and was the 18th best, right? 75.5 grade, which is fine. Pickens graded out as the 52nd best with a 68.8 grade, which isn't great. But obviously, if these two guys going into their second year can kind of build that chemistry and can take another step together, uh, I think that can be a really, assuming Pickens doesn't have a mental breakdown because he's a little weird. I think they could have something. I mean, you know, they've just got a pretty solid thing going here, especially on offense. They just remind me of the Steelers. You know, you've got the pretty good quarterback, the the solid offensive line. You know, they went out and got Broderick Jones. They traded up for him to get the tackle spot, but everything else is pretty well fine. You know, Alex uh, Chukwuma Okorafor has been floating around the NFL since forever. I have no idea why he keeps getting starting jobs, but he's their right tackle. But Pat Fryermuth at tight end. Solid running back. You know, they got uh, Allen Robinson who came in, and Deontay Johnson is pretty decent as the number twos and threes. Obviously, the defense is always a little bit scary. They got Highsmith and Watt on the outside with Hayward on the inside. They got uh, Patrick Peterson actually had a great year when he came over for them last year. They got Minka Fitzpatrick and DeMonte Kazee at safety who both had amazing years. So the defense is there. The offense is there. A lot of potential to swing either way. You know, Patrick Peterson has has had some terrible years over the years, as has uh, Kazee and even Fitzpatrick. This is, I think, his best year in the NFL. So potential for some regression, but it's still going to be a good defense, and uh, the offense is going to be the biggest question. How much of a step does Pickett take? Pickett and Pickens. Then we get uh, at home against the Chargers, November 19th at noon. Loving all the noon games. This is very similar to a lot of the other games. you got Herbert. You've got uh, the the wide receivers. You got a solid running back. Uh, they did draft Quentin Johnston, which is shocking. I mean, it's like the only thing you got is wide receivers, man. You got Allen and Williams, who are both top twenty. Uh, Allen is top ten. You've got a quarterback. You've got a decent offensive line. You've got a running back. 
You don't need another wide receiver. Get a corner. Get a defensive tackle. Get a linebacker. Get a safety. Get whatever. But they're still rocking with Mack and Bosa. Mack really just plummeted after 2020. Uh, 2021, he had a 73 grade. is down to a 71.9 this year. He's the 37th best pass rusher. As much as that guy's a freak, man, he hit 30 and just kind of hit a wall. So that's kind of, uh, I guess, a good thing for us. Joey Bosa also took a step back. Uh, he's been kind of on a two-year downward trend, although he was injured last year. Not that that's a positive or anything. But, um, yeah, he's 28 years old. He, I feel like he's getting old because of his younger brother. I feel like he's been in so much longer, but he's still only 27 right now. But, yeah, they got the two guys, the two old, too old. They, they got the, the two guys on the edge. One of them is very old. They got... Uh, uh, Derwin James at safety, and then Samuel Asante Samuel took a pretty big step in year two. So, again, good quarterback, good wide receivers, pretty lackluster defense. And we got the Lions uh, again. This time it's in Detroit, and it's on Thanksgiving. So, I'm, I'm kind of hoping we break this whole Detroit Lions curse too. I'm, I'm hoping some of that stuff is Aaron Rodgers, and it kind of left, and we can start a new thing because I'm really getting tired of losing to the freaking Lions. Um, December 3rd, we got the Chiefs on Sunday night football. So we got a lot of primetime games kind of in a row. We've had a Thursday night and a Monday night. Then we get uh, Thanksgiving, which I think you would still call that primetime. Maybe not. I guess it's not considered primetime because we got five quote-unquote primetime games, but I don't know why. Why would Thanksgiving not be a primetime game? It's the only game on at that time. right? we got a Thursday night, a Monday night. we got Thanksgiving, Sunday night against the Chiefs, Monday night against the Giants, Sunday night against the Vikings. That looks like six to me. Just because it's not dark outside doesn't mean it's not a nationally televised game whatever so the chiefs on sunday night football at uh, 7 20 p.m december 3rd so we go from a thursday night to a sunday night we've got a little bit of extra time to prepare it's kind of a um i guess you can call it a revenge game for for jordan love but you know if i if we're being objective here a team that we know nothing about compared to the super bowl champions it's a, it's a, it's a tall order then december 11th we get monday night football so that's again like three primetime games in a row this time it's going to be at the Giants. We're going to be going out to New York. Maybe maybe Rodgers kind of, if he's in the area, can say hi or something. I don't know. But the Giants are another team that there's certainly some uh, potential. A lot of question marks at quarterback. Saquon has just not lived up to you know his potential. Uh, Darren Waller is there now, but he hasn't really done much in the last couple of years. Apparently there's some serious issues. Their offensive line is a complete disaster. They did draft John Michael Schmidt. Schmitz in the second round. I don't know if that's going to help very much. Um, but aside from Andrew Thomas, who's becoming one of the better tackles in football, this is a complete disaster. The wide receivers are pretty much non-existent. Um, Wandale Robinson, maybe, is is their, their one hope. I don't really know, but it's it's a joke. And then the defense is pretty tough. I mean, again, they've got some studs. They got uh, Dexter Lawrence on the inside. Kayvon Thibodeau as a rookie was decent. Maybe he takes a step. And then they drafted Deontay Banks as a rookie. We'll see what he can do. But um, this one I feel relatively comfortable with, especially coming off that Chiefs game. Then we get the Buccaneers, which, of course, uh, sends a chill down your spine. This one is at home. But remember, this is not the same Tampa Bay Buccaneers that had Tom Brady and you know beat on us in the playoffs and all that kind of stuff. This is Baker Mayfield, who ranked 37th out of 39 quarterbacks last year behind a horrifically bad offensive line with the exception of Tristan Wirfs, who, uh, you know, another really good offensive tackle but everything else is is pretty horrible depending on who's going to take a step or whatever um they got some good wide receivers but you know these these you say mike evans and you think about 2016 mike evans it's not 2016 mike evans 2019 was the last time he was like a premier he was the number six wide receiver since then he was 40th 30th and 28th um which sounds like he's getting better but it's not his grades of 75 75 74 the last several years so he's a good wide receiver he's not an elite wide receiver same with chris godwin um kind of his first three years were his best three years the next three not quite as good he ranked 26th in the nfl last year so one of the worst quarterbacks in football last year baker mayfield is going behind going to be standing behind one of the worst offensive lines i've seen with no real tight ends no real running backs a couple good but not as good as they used to be wide receivers and then the defense, which, again, was at one point just a dominant, elite, scary defense, has got some issues now. Um, they still have a couple of the pieces there, but Vita Vea, I mean, he's been falling off a cliff. He kind of peaked in 2020. He was a fourth best, and he was a 17th best last year, 48th best. Uh, they did go out and draft Kalijah Kansi in the first round to kind of help their defensive line to kind of get back to their old way of doing stuff, but... Um, 
even off the edge, man, Shaq Barrett, you know, he, he had his moment in the sun. He ranked 47th off the edge. Their uh, corners, they got Trey Dean, or Jamal Dean, who is um, pretty much their only good corner. They still have Levante David, who was the third best, best linebacker last year. That guy's a stud. And then uh, Ryan Neal, uh, he graded out well last year, but I think that was mostly a fluke. So, you know, the the the... The offense is in a really bad way, and, and if we have any pass rushers going, I think we're going to absolutely destroy this team. As far as our offense being able to do things, I don't think that, you know, this is one of those defenses where, yeah, it's it's got some pieces, but if you can't move against it, then you probably can't move against most defenses in the NFL. Then we are at the Carolina Panthers. Um, they went out and got Andy Dalton, who is hilarious because he was actually one of the better quarterbacks last year in his limited time, but, I mean, he's still Andy Dalton. He's got these weird little spikes. Uh, 2015, he was the 8th best quarterback. 2018, he was the 12th best. 2022, he was the 7th best, so the Red Rockets still get a little, little bit of juice in them. But I'm not scared of Andy Dalton. Uh, they really don't have any wide receivers, running backs, the offensive line. Nobody terrible, but nobody good. And then uh, defensively, they've got Derek Brown, who was the number seven overall pick in 2020. Had a terrible first two years and kind of blew up this past year. He's the seventh best. Um, aside from that, they got some okay pieces, but nothing super terrifying, including Brian Burns, who ranked 64th in the NFL last year. He's been kind of bad aside from 2020 when he was the 13th best at 76.8 as an overall grade. His run defense is just putrid, by the way. Um so yeah, Carolina's kind of a mess. And then we end the season with the Vikings at uh, Minnesota Sunday Night Football. That obviously is going to be a rough one. It's always rough in Minnesota. Um, and then finally, again, at home, Chicago Bears. I'm, I'm, I, I, I guess the biggest takeaways are, are thusly. Number one, it's hard to anticipate anything because I don't know what the Green Bay Packers are and I don't know what any of these teams are. Aside from the teams that just are horrifically bad and I, and I don't really see a lot of hope for them as far as progression which there aren't many maybe one or two it's really hard to know what's going to happen and a lot of people oh, we got an easy schedule according to who according to last year last year ain't this year this might be a tough schedule I have no idea maybe the NFC South is just going to be tearing stuff up and the Falcons and the Saints and the Buccaneers and the Panthers man it's just going to be rough I don't, I don't know but at the end of the day I mean all, all this is kind of dumb to begin with, as far as, you know, is it easy, easy schedule? There's another thing that I was going to go through, but I don't really care as far as distance traveled. I mean, generally speaking, if you're in the Midwest, you probably travel less than people on the East and West Coast, which does tend to be the case. But the Packers travel less than almost every team, if not more than or less than every team. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but look, it, do you think the Kansas City Chiefs' chances are contingent on how easy their schedule is or how little or more they have to travel or when they have their buy. No, they're going to be Super Bowl contenders no matter what, as are the Bills, as is everybody else. At the end of the day, what really matters here is what we have in this team. Can Joe Barry freaking get this defense working or not? Do we still have a really good special teams unit? Jordan Love, is, is he a good quarterback or not? What do we have with our wide receivers? What do we have with our tight ends? These are the questions that ultimately matter the most. If we've got it, who gives a crap about these teams? They're, they're just standing in the way of the inevitable. If we don't have a good team, it doesn't matter. We can shift. We can put the buy wherever you want. You can put at or verse. You can change the, the, the primetime games to the non-prime. It, it, it ain't going to matter. You might be able to manipulate a couple wins here or there, but that's, that's the whole, like manipulating it doesn't matter. What are you going to end up doing? You twist it so that the Packers can sneak into the playoffs and then get bludgeoned by a real team? Come on. What matters is whether or not we have a good football team. That's what matters. Um, and as far as the five primetime thing, everybody's kind of freaking out about, again, assuming that is true, and as I would say, that would be six. Thir uh, Thursday night football against the Lions, Monday night against the Raiders, Thanksgiving against the Lions, Sunday night football against the Chiefs, Monday night football against the Giants, Sunday night football against the Vikings. By my count, that would be six. One of them is in the daytime, but also nationally televised. Um, people are looking at that, well, how could you even do that without Aaron Rodgers? That's ridiculous. It's, it's not, you know, first of all, I'm annoyed by the amount of, again, everybody that says that you look at their profile, it's, you know, Aaron Rodgers is, is the greatest or whatever. But, um, the, the annoyance is the idea that Packer fans would come out and say, this is stupid, we shouldn't have so many primetime games because we suck now. 
right? Like, just first of all, stop. Um, but beyond that, the, the Packers are not Aaron Rodgers. The Packers, and, and, and that's it's not just to say that the Packers and how good they are isn't just Aaron Rodgers, because there is a component of that as well. But the Packers fan base is massive. And how many people are going to tune in to Packers-Lions on Thursday Night Football or the Thanksgiving game against the Lions? It's going to be massive, the amount of people that are going to want to watch that. And that's all that matters. It's you know I, 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 The idea that Aaron Rodgers is the only draw for the Green Bay Packers is crazy. It's not the reality. Um, now, granted, if, if the Packers are a one-win team and it's uh, December 31st at Viking Sunday Night Football, that may just very well get changed. <laughs> that may, may not be the case anymore because nobody actually cares about the Vikings bludgeoning a team that can't win football games. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not to say that the Packers, you know, the, that the schedule makers believe in, in Jordan Love or they believe in the Packers, they think they're still going to be great. No, it's, it's because they're the Packers. Right, and if the Packers are terrible and they kind of spiral down into doom, then you know the viewership. If the viewership goes down, we'll see less Sunday night, Monday night football games. But the anticipation right now is people are going to tune in to watch the Packers. They want to see it. Um, and again, that seems to annoy some people because it's like, how how dare you support this team without Aaron Rodgers? But yeah, a lot of Packer fans out there. I don't know what else to tell you. It's just the way it goes. So anyways, again, we're, we're going to overreact to this because it's the thing that happened today, but um, that, that's sort of my take on it. We, we, we have to wait and see what all these teams actually are and how things shake up because it's always it's never what we think it's going to be. Seattle is going to be the worst team in football that actually turned out okay. Um, so anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic rest of your day. I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Goodbye.